Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Hey guys, welcome uh, this morning. Listen, we are going to jump right into the Word of God today, so why don't we just start with a moment of prayer and then we're going to dive in. God, thank you so much for your presence here with us this morning. Lord, thank you for all the things that you're doing in our church, Lord. Um, the, the fact that we have this beautiful opportunity to merge with Koinonia, the fact that yeah, we get to show up every Sunday and worship you, the fact that it's City Impact Day and Campus Cows, all these things that are going on, God, we just thank you for the busyness of everything, Lord, and that you're in and working through everything. And today, as we unpack your word, we just ask that you would move in a powerful way amongst us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you give uh, the person beside you a big high five, say, I'm glad I'm sitting beside you. All right. Hey, we're going we're gonna to dive right into things here. Um, so as you guys are aware, like uh, as a church, we are merging with Koinonia. And so we're starting this new series called The Big Deal to talk about things that actually are a big deal as we go through this merging process. Because sometimes, you know, when we get into different situations and different things, something can matter a lot to us as an individual, but it doesn't actually matter in the grand scheme of everything that's going on. So I think for myself, one of the things that, like, as I was thinking about this, the thing that I kept coming back to, anybody, like, growing up, or any of you a part of a church that, it always goes back to, like, the color of paint and the color of carpets were, like, such a big deal. Is this, like, resonating with anybody? It's like, okay, what color is the carpet going to be in the sanctuary? What color is the paint going to be in the lobby? These things, like, really stuck with people as things that were, like, we've got to pay a lot of attention to this. And I think as we're merging these two communities, the community here at Slate, the community at Quinity, there's so much opportunity for us to get caught up in things that don't really matter that much. Like the video that we just watched kind of like a jokey way of saying this person's pouring out some of the stuff that's going on in their life. This person's missing the big moment because they're just caught up on oh, that picture's a little bit off kilter, a little bit off center. So for us as a church, as we're going through this process, we want to make sure that we're focusing on the most important things that are happening. And as we're like contextualizing what's going on as a church, I was thinking about this kind of as, as I began to prepare. God has been doing a work in his church for generation after generation after generation after generation. If you go all the way back to Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus is like teaching them how to live and teaching them how to be and telling them like, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one that's come, that's going to bring restoration. Jesus' main message while he's on earth is repent, turn away from like your way of doing life. Because the kingdom of heaven is here at hand. And this is the message that Jesus leaves with his disciples. And then he goes and ascends into heaven. And the disciples are left to go like, okay, Jesus just gave us this this mission of going and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, like, where do we go from here? Imagine what that would have looked like as you're reading the book of Acts. Like, Jesus is now left, and there's these 12 people that are supposed to carry the torch from Jesus on generation after generation after generation to build what we get to sit in today, which is like the church, the modern church. But that just started with this move of Jesus outworking itself in 12 people, and then outworking itself again and again and again and again and again and growing to the, the, the billions of people that would call themselves Christians today. What a wild thing. So God has been at work through generation after generation after generation. He's been faithful to his church over and over and over and over and over again. And in our lifetime, sometimes for each of us, like we can get it a little bit twisted to think that the world around us or the life that we're living, it's like an outworking of our story. 
this is a lot of like um, the narrative that we get that we're maybe it's like the American dream or the Canadian dream, but it's like our life. We're the main character of our life, and everything kind of around us is a part of this story. That's our story that's unfolding in front of us, which is really interesting because it's not actually the reality of it. The the reality is that God has been unfolding this story of redemption and creation for generation after generation after generation. And today, we get to be a part of that next unfolding here in Kitchener-Waterloo as our church looks to join with Koinonia to see this new thing that God is going to do in his church in this region, which is a pretty wild thought. And so, I guess as we're going through this big deal series, our hope and our desire is that us as a church, that we will actually be like available to do what God is inviting us to do. That we're not going to like be a a stumbling block in this story or this narrative of God kind of restoring creation through uh, the work of the gospel and also the work of the church. So I'm really excited to, to talk about it a little bit. I'm excited to jump into things. Today we're talking about a concept um, that many of you be familiar with. Uh, we're talking about this idea of unity. So when you're looking to, to figure out like what is a big deal, as we're going through this merging process, what are the things that are actually a big deal? How do you know something is a big deal? How do you know? Anybody watch uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Is like any of yours? Is this every time I was writing this? Like, how do you know? How do you know she's a witch? <laughs> she looks like a witch. And I think in the big deal, the question that we're asking is like, how do you know? How do you know something's a big deal? Because it looks like a big deal? No, not necessarily. How do you know that something is a big deal? How do you know that it's something that we should emphasize or focus on or be a part of or, or engage with as we're going through this process? There's really three ways to know if something's a big deal. Okay, so the, the, the first way is, does Scripture make a big deal out of that thing? Like, nowhere in Scripture do we see it talking about carpet colors or wall colors or this, that, or the other thing. Does Scripture make a big deal about it? And if Scripture makes a big deal about it, then we should probably make a de- big deal about it. The other way uh, to, to figure it out is, like, does Jesus make a big deal about it? What are the things that Jesus emphasizes in and amongst his followers? And then we've got we've to really prioritize and focus on those things. And then the final way to look and see if something is a big deal is, we're talking in the church context here, like what did the the early church make a big deal out of? What mattered to them? What was a focus and a priority for them? And so as we're filtering through the things, like there's going to be natural ebbs and flows of this process. Right now, I think for us, we're just like, yeah, we're kind of vibing. We're like, man, Slate Church is great. We've been a part of this church for a long time. Brandon and Emma are great. The vision of what God is doing is great. I love the people I'm sitting next to. I'm in a local. I'm very like comfortable. Things are good. There's real challenges in people's life. But on the whole, like we're just kind of vibing as a church. And I feel like God is bringing us into a season where there's a new thing that's going to come out of what he's been doing. And it's going to require something from all of us. It's going to require a new level of submission to God. It's going to require a little bit of change. It's going to require a little bit of struggle. And we're going to see new people come and be a part of, of, of this community here in the morning. Maybe they're coming from Koinonia. Maybe they're like growing up as they kind of graduate university and they, they join like what's happening here in the morning from the evening service. There's going to be change and there's going to be like a new dynamic to our church and a shift. We're going to rename a bunch of stuff. We're not like you're going to rename a bunch of stuff. We're going to reprioritize a lot of things. And in that, for us as a church, we want to make sure we're focused on the right things, available to be used by God, and not just focused on the right things, but actually willing to do the work that God has for us to do. And so today we're going to talk about unity because it's a big deal. The Bible makes a big deal about it. Jesus makes a big deal about it. The early church makes a big deal about it. So why don't you grab your Bible and you can turn to John chapter 17, verse 20. To 23. And we can throw it up on the screen behind. I know I didn't give it to you beforehand, so I'll give you a second. John 17, verse 20 to 23. And I want to talk a little bit about what this passage 
of Scripture actually is in its saying. This passage of Scripture is Jesus with his disciples right before he goes to be crucified. So there's this moment like in this upper room where Jesus is with his disciples and they kind of share a meal together and Jesus actually teaches them all kinds of different stuff. He kind of gives this last communication to his disciples of who he is and and who the Holy Spirit is that's going to come. And he he says all kinds of things to the disciples that are are really confusing to them and then they just ask him like, Jesus, you're speaking in like metaphors and analogies. Can you just speak plainly to us? And what we spoke about last week, this idea of like, I'm the vine and you are the branches, this is where Jesus is communicating that to his disciples. And then, he, and then he prays for them. And he takes a moment after all of this stuff, before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, before Judas betrays him to the Roman Empire, before he goes before Pilate, before he's killed and crucified and then resurrected, all before that happens, Jesus has this moment with his disciples where he prays. This is kind of the, the words the end of Jesus' life. And so for us, it's this really significant insight in the book of John into the person of Jesus in this really critical moment in his life. And I love Opening the Bible to something like this. Like how wild is it that we get to read the words of Jesus to his like disciples. Those 12 in this room in this really private moment towards the end of Jesus' life. Us as a church get to peek in on that this morning. And so you know that what Jesus is about to pray for is important to him. Because he knows that this is some of his last moments with them. So John 17 verse 20 to 23. Jesus prays this. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me and that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Jesus prays for three things in this time with his disciples. He prays for himself and says, God, like, Father, give me the strength to complete the work that you've sent me here to do. And then he prays for his 12 disciples and says, bless them, protect them, and lead them, guide them. And then he prays for us as a church, which is pretty wild to think. Like that, when he says, like, my prayer's not for them alone, he's saying, my prayer's not just for these disciples. He's just finished praying for the disciples. He says, my prayer's not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's each one of us sitting in this room right now. And what is the thing that Jesus prays for in some of these final moments of his life, in these final moments with his disciples? He prays that we would be one as he and the Father are one. He prays for unity in the church. He prays for us to come together as a, as a, as a body of believers. And it's interesting that Jesus would pray for that. And, and he doesn't just say, like, I pray that they would be unified so that it's easygoing and that they have a great time. He says, I pray that they would be unified so that people would, would come to know you, so that people would be brought to a knowledge of me, that they would be one, they be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. This importance, this significance, beauty, it's a priority for Jesus. It's a big deal for Jesus. It's a big deal in Scripture. And, so, and we know it's a big deal because he mentions it three times in this, in this prayer. In these four verses, Jesus talks about it three times. And, and the reason that we as a church want to be unified is because unity reflects the character and the nature of God himself. Like Jesus isn't just desiring us to be unified so that we're unified. He's, de- he's desiring us to be unified so we'll look more like his relationship with the Father. He's saying like, man, God, as I am one with you and as you're one with me, I pray that they would be one with one another. 
that there would be unity in and amongst them because it reflects the nature and the character of God. Again, Jesus says, like, don't follow the ways of the world. Repent from the ways around you, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what does the kingdom of heaven look like? The kingdom of heaven looks like a unified church. So Jesus is inviting us into that. And it's interesting because unity isn't something that we really see in the world around us almost at all. Like, if you look to the world around us on a, on a big scale, how many countries are in the world? Does anybody know this? I was, like, thinking about it as I was coming up. Give me some, like, elementary facts here quick. 192? Thank you, Tanner. I should have guessed that you would know that. 192. 192 countries in the world. Like, and each of them have their own agendas and priorities. And within those countries, there's leadership structures that have their own agendas and priorities. And within those leadership structures, um, there's people that have their own agendas and priorities. And there's, like, a depth of individualism in the world around us. There's this depth of, like, selfish ambition, need to desire to, like, protect our own thing, to do our own thing. And, And if you just even look across, like, the landscape of Canada, there's this like selfish ambition that everybody carries around with them. I think about when I worked at um, D2L before I came and and was full-time at Slate, and I was in this setting where, you know, I was in sales, so it's a little bit cutthroat. Everybody's kind of like stepping on everybody to get like the next promotion. We were in sales, and, and, and it was just like you would be, I'd be hanging out with people, and it's like, oh man, there's like this undertone of like uneasiness all the time because we're, we're, you know, we're buddies and we're hanging out after work. But at the same time, if there's like this promotion opportunity, I know you're going to like jump in to get that. And maybe I would also jump in to get that. And there's this like kind of mentality in the world around us where it's like our focus, our ambition, our own selfishness is driving a lot of what we're doing as people. And maybe on like a good level. So maybe like somebody's not going to like step over somebody else. But there isn't a depth of love. Like, that's just like a baseline zero point is I'm not going to use the people around me. But at the same time, if things get like, if push comes to shove and this, this relationship gets kind of frustrating or, or contentious, I can just walk away from it and, and I'll leave. And this isn't the kind of relationship that Jesus is inviting his disciples into or praying over the church. He's praying over this unity, this depth of love across the church. And he's saying the church and their unity with one another, their relationship, their love for one another, their ability to bear with one another and be patient with one another, this is the example to the world that, that, um, that you love them and that I'm with them. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. So for us, as Jesus is making a big deal on this idea of unity, it's important that we make a big deal of that as individuals. Unity is this, this opportunity for us to outwork the gospel in our life. The reason unity is challenging is because it's a bunch of broken people trying to be in a relationship with one another, which is not an easy thing to do. You think about, um, like, thinking about this idea of unity and the cost of it, too. Like, the world doesn't have it because it's, it's a challenge, and it has to come through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus pays, like, a really significant price so that we would be in relationship with another, so that we'd be unified as a church. The price of unity was... Jesus' life. Like, he gave his life so that we would have um, freedom from, from our own brokenness and our own sin. And so Jesus has, at such a high price, bought this opportunity for us to be in relationship with one another, for us to be unified as a church. And it's an outworking of us following Jesus. Like, this, this idea of unity is it's a part of the character and the nature of God. And as we follow that, as we become more like Christ, we'll see that more in the community around us. It's an outworking and expression of the gospel in our life. Like, if I was to say to you this morning that I have this product, and um, 
I want you to buy into this product. I want you to invest into this product. And this product, you take it three times a week. It's like a, it's kind of like take your vitamins in the morning. Sorry, this product is specifically for men because I think the results of it, I don't think that everybody would want this. But you take this product three times a week. You pop that pill in the morning. You take it with like your, um, your vitamin C. And, uh, and what you're going to end up with is like, you're going to be like 6'4". You're going to grow to be 6'4", jawline. You're going to have a jawline, right? It's going to be amazing. You're going to look good. you got a jawline. you got 6'4", hairline. It's not going anywhere, man. you got that thing for the rest of your life. Jawline, hairline, 6'4", tanline. Never heard of whole body, just tan. All. It's beautiful. I'm talking about like, as I was thinking about this, I was like, The Rock. I don't think I'd want to look like The Rock, but I would go for like Zac Efron, like Baywatch Zac Efron. That guy's like made out of concrete. His whole body's made out of concrete. I'm like, man, you, you take this three times a week. That's what you're going to end up with. 6'4", Zach Efron. I think that guy's like 5'7". So we're not shooting for that. 5'7 is fine height to be. 6'4", man, that would be great to be. 6'4", Zach Efron is what we're talking about. Three times a week, you take that. Would you invest? You got, I got your interest. You're like, oh, man, this is an interesting product. You see it on an infomercial at 1230 at night. You're like, maybe I will do six easy payments of $79.99. So you're going like, okay, I'm, I'm curious about this. What if I then said, works like a charm, man. I've been taking it three times a week for the last four years. I don't know, bro. I don't know how good this product is anymore. If I told you I had a product, medium height, medium build, slightly more handsome face, you would go, okay, maybe this guy's got something. Maybe I'm going to invest in that. But the thing is, like, unless we're outworking the power of the gospel in our life and we're actually unified, like, the point that I'm trying to make with this is nobody's going to buy into this if the church isn't actually unified. Nobody's going to care about the thing that we're doing if we don't actually love one another. And loving each other is hard, man. Loving each other is really challenging. Caring about one another. Like, here, I was thinking about this. I was like, there's a lot of people in this world that I don't really like or want to spend a lot of time around. Not in our church. I like everybody in our church. But there are people that I love more than I love others. Right? I think about my wife, Beth. Like, I love Beth. Like, I would do anything for, for Beth. Would almost do anything for Beth. It's not 100% true. I love my children, man. I love my kids. Vivian is amazing. Jude is awesome. And, um, and we're having another baby in April. And we're so excited about that and, like, looking forward to it. And I already love that case. Not even here. I said he, he, she, whatever they're going to end up being. They're not even here yet, and I love them. But do I love the people in this church like I love my own family? No. I want to, and I don't. Some people I do. The people that I spend a lot of time with, I'm, I'm really developing a love for them. I think the people on, on our team in the morning, like David Klompis and Jeremy and, and Candice and, and Michaela and um, Matthias and Claudia, like these are people I'm spending a lot of time with. I'm, I'm really developing a, a deep love for these people. But I'm like, God, I don't think I have this depth of love for the rest of your church. And I want to. Like, I want to love the people around me. And I'm not saying you have to like everybody in our church, but you do have to love them. All these people that are going to be coming over from Koinonia as we gather for worship nights and prayer nights and launch nights and all these different things, we have to genuinely have a love for the people around us. It can't just be like a service level thing. It can't just be like we're doing church together. This has to be a community of people that our hearts break for, that we desire to be around. Locals, it can't be something like... Like something tragic happens in your local and it's like now I have a responsibility because I'm a part of this local and locals gather around people in times of tragedy. It should break your heart to go, I love this person and they're going through this thing and I want to do the work to show up and be there and support them. That love has to be an overflow from us. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus 
and he says this. Paul is in prison. Okay, Paul is a great example of a love for different churches. And love doesn't just look like happy, feely, you know, high five all the time and we're hugging and, and all this. I was going to say you're kissing. We're not kissing. But we're like, love doesn't need to look like this gushy thing all the time. Sometimes love is, is challenging somebody. Sometimes love is, is pulling them aside and going, hey, man, you're better than this thing. But Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. He's in prison in Rome. He's literally in a jail cell. And he writes this. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul's making this plea to the church in Ephesus. Guys, be humble, be gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another. Make every effort that you can. Paul says make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And I like these three things that Paul touches on. Humility, gentleness, and patience. Humility, gentleness, and patience. And Paul says, Paul says like, be, be humble, be gentle, and be patient. Now think about humility. Humility is a value for us as a church, one of the really cool things in the merger between um, Slate Church and Koinonia is that the value of humility was both our number one value as a church. This idea, the way that we had phrased it at Slate was, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. This desire to be humble isn't about you know, thinking less of ourselves. God's called each one of us to a unique calling, and that's, that's a great thing. And there's like a lot of great stuff that God wants to do through you. But it's, a, it's about thinking about yourself less. And what happens when you think of yourself less? You begin to think of others more. You begin to shift your focus from your life. The same way that I said at the beginning of this, it's not just our story. This is God's story that we're a part of, that we want to be available for. It's also all the people around you's story. Like as you're sitting in this chair this morning carrying all the stuff that's going on in your life, so is the person that's sitting right to your right. And so is the person that's sitting to your left, carrying their own stuff. And I think for a moment, if we can get out of our own heads and stop focusing so much on the stuff that's going on in our life, but say, God, how would you use me in the life of the people around me? How can I be humble and set aside my selfish ambition and my desires and all the stuff that's going on and say, God, would you use me to be a part of somebody else's life? What would that do to transform our church? Leonard Ravenhill says, church unity comes from corporate humility. From each one of us saying, hey, I want to bring humility into my relationships. Humility into God's church. Another thing that, uh, that Paul highlights in this is gentleness. To be gentle with one another. Like, What does it look like to not just have an edge in some of our conversations or always trying to get a leg up on the people around us, but to just be gentle. To recognize that stuff is going on in people's life and to be kind, to be thoughtful, to be aware of what's going on in the people's lives around us but also just to be gentle towards him. He also says patience, be, with humility, gentleness, and patience. This idea of bearing with one another. He goes into this idea like, bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit of peace. To be patient. There's people in my life, I'm not going to be too specific on this example, but there's people in my life that have been going through some of the same like personality things for years and years and years and years and years. And it's not, like, they're not a bad person. They just got, like, these personality quirks, and they frustrate me. Every time I hang out with them, I'm just like, man, like, how has this person not grown through this yet? And sometimes I'll bring it up with them. I'm like, hey, man, like, how are you doing on this thing? Because, you know, it's kind of like, we talked about this before, and, and, and they're like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm still working on it. And that's, like, good enough answer. 
it's going to take me a long time to grow through this thing. It's going to take me a long time to grow through this, like, um, you know, selfishness that I have. And, and then the other thing to recognize is, like, everybody around us is also bearing with us. Like, there are people that have the same way that I've had a conversation with somebody else, like, hey, man, you shouldn't do that anymore. Lots of people have had that conversation with me. So you're like, hey, bro, you have pretty high expectations of the relationships in your life, but also, like, you don't reciprocate that in the same way that you expect others to. And I was like, oh, man. That's not true. <laughs> but it is. And I have to recognize that those people that I'm talking about, like the people that are really close to my life, my wife, my kids, the team that are around me, the people in my local, they're bearing with me. Micah and Becca that were sitting over there, they lead our local. And I can promise you there have been times where they've had conversations and gone like, man, Jared is just, these guys got to show up at these local events, man. I'm sure that it's happened. There's a patience that's being extended towards us. So as we recognize, like, Humility comes when we realize that those around us are bearing with us. Those around us are making every effort to be in relationship with us, and we need to bear with one another. We need to make every effort to be in relationship with one another. We think about like all that God wants to do through his church. I need, I need to close because we're running out of time. So, Ben, if you do want to come back up. We think about this next thing that God wants to do through his church. We think about the love that's needed for the people around us. And I go like, man, I want to love the people in our church but I don't even know how to do that. Like, I don't even know how to develop in myself a love for people that I, I see on a week-in and week-out basis. Some people, it's really easy because we have common interests and it's nice to talk to and all this stuff. Some people, I find it really challenging just because it's like, man, I, I don't feel like I can really relate with this person at all. So how do I love them? Maybe you're here and you've been like hurt by somebody in our church before. Hurt by somebody in your local, hurt by somebody in your family, hurt by somebody in a church in this community or in this region. And you've got like bitterness or hurt that you're holding against that. You're like, man, I don't even know how I could forgive somebody like that. I don't even know how I could, how I could put my thing aside and extend that hand of relationship back to that person. I, can't, I don't know if I could forgive through the hurt. I remember there was a season in my life where there was somebody that had hurt me. And I, I had even said to Beth, I was like, I don't think I'll ever get past this or get over this. I don't think I'll ever move, move on from this. I didn't want to, but I was just carrying it around with me, like a level of hurt and frustration. It's like, I don't think I can even be in the same room as this person anymore. And I remember going to God and just saying, God, like, what do I do with this inside of me? What do I do with this, like, hurt and this frustration? And I actually want to forgive them. I don't want to carry this around, but I don't think that I'm able to in my own ability to let go of something. I remember I prayed that for, like, three weeks. It was like, God help get this thing out of me. God, help me to forgive this person. I don't think I'm ever going to move past this. And there was a desperation that was happening inside of me, but also a bit of like a hopelessness. And as I prayed this over and over and over again, the craziest thing happened. God actually changed my heart. Nothing really changed in our circumstance. Nothing changed in our life. I didn't have a phone call with that person. We weren't on like speaking terms. I woke up one morning and I was like, I understand why they would have done that the way that they did it. It's hurtful, the things that were said, but I can put myself in their shoes. I should give that person a call and we should move forward. It took me another three weeks to actually pick up the phone and call that person. And we worked through it, and it's been years and years in our friendship, and we're still working on it. Still working on building trust, still working on building relationship. It doesn't mean that it happens overnight. This is the patience element. I'm going to bear with that person the same way that they're going to bear with me. I said things to that person that I regret, that I know weren't right. They've extended a hand of relationship back to me. So for us as a church, it's like, how do we move forward in this? Well, I just look at that moment in my life and go like, it has to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
as a church, we have to go before God and say, God, I'm going to do my greatest effort to release the things that I'm holding on to in my life. Like if, if you're really stuck on something in our church, you probably need to go back to God and say, God, I'm releasing that thing, not because it's my agenda, but because I want to be a part of what you're doing. If you're really stuck on something in a relationship with somebody, maybe there's people that have left our church that you've had like a tension point with that are now going to Koinonia and you're like, oh man, I just really don't want to be in the same room as that person again. We kind of found our zones. We found our spot in doing our thing. Maybe there's a real anxiousness and a nervousness. My challenge to you this morning is to take that before God and go, God, help me to work through that. I need the power of your Holy Spirit to bear with one another in love. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to to forgive the person that's in my local. I need the power of your Holy Spirit to get over the way that I see that person because I heard somebody say that they did this, that, or the other thing. I need the power of your Holy Spirit to forgive my wife for the brokenness that's happened. I need your power of your Holy Spirit to forgive my husband for the brokenness that exists in our relationship. I need the power of your Holy Spirit to love my kids when they drive me up a wall. I need the power of your Holy Spirit to love this person's kids when they're at our house and they're driving me up a wall. You know what I thought about the other day too? It's like this is a generational thing. Someday somebody's kid in here is going to hurt my kid. And I'm going to be, like, losing my mind. And I'm going to have to go to God and say, God, like, help me to love that parent and that child the way that you love them. Tweak my heart from my own selfish ambition and the things that I want to see happen. And God, allow me to just follow in the demonstration that you said. The commitment that I want to make as a person is to be obedient to what God is inviting me to do. Nathan uh, Turner, he put it this way, which I thought was really great. He said, I've decided in my life that I want to be a part of the answer to Jesus' prayer for unity, not an obstacle or a hindrance. I don't always get it right, but I refuse to speak words that tear down other believers, whether they're in our church or in another church or denomination, etc. What a, what a beautiful commitment as a person. I want to be part of the solution to Jesus' prayer for unity in his church. That's my desire for each one of us that are here in this room, and I know that it's easier said than it's done. But why do we want to do this? Because it's the example that Jesus has set for us. It's the commitment that Jesus made to us long before we ever made a commitment back to him or to one another. The commitment that Jesus made to us to say that while we were yet sinners, that Christ would die for us. In the midst of our rebellion and our brokenness as a world, God says, for God so loved the world that he that he gave. What did he give? He gave, him, he gave himself. He gave his only son. That's how much God loves us. That's how much God is willing to bear with us. Maybe this morning you're in the room and you're going like, I don't think that God could love me because of the things that I've done or that I've thought or that I've held on to in your life. God loves you so much that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet rebellious, like God created us to be in relationship with us and all that we've done as people is turn our back on God. All that we've done as people, from, from Adam and Eve to even like our daily lives and routines that we go through, we continually hold God at an arm's length. And all that God desires, he said, man, I created you so that I could love you, so that I could be in a relationship with you, so that I could, so that I could um, like subdue creation and, and, and reign over creation with you. He gave us authority in the world that he's given. And what we've done as humankind over and over and over again is hold God at an arm's length. And what God has said is, while you were yet sinners, I've died for you. For God so loved the world, I loved you so much, even in your brokenness, even in our sin, even in our separation, that I would give of myself, that I would give my son to be in relationship with you. This is the example that we see in Jesus, and this is the desire that Jesus has for us, that we would love one another, that we would bear with one another in humility and in gentleness and in patience. Why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to close in a moment here.
And I know I said we close in worship, but we're not going to. We're going to close in prayer. As a church, I want us to embody the love that God has for us as people. I want to look at the relationship that Jesus has with his Father. Jesus says, like, um, I'm not doing anything apart from the Father. Everything I do in this life, the Father's willed me to do, is assigned me to do. For us, I want that to be our desire as a church. We don't want to hold on to anything so tightly that we wouldn't be obedient to the thing that God is inviting us to do. So this morning, um, with every head bowed and every head closed, I just want to create a space and an opportunity real quick for people that are in the room today and you're like thinking in your mind, you're going, I've got something that I'm holding on to. Whether that's um, anger or bitterness towards something, whether it's even just a critical spirit going into this next season, whether it's a pain point from somebody that is at another church in our region, a pain point from somebody else that's in the room. But you today, you know in your spirit, you're like, man, I have something that I'm holding on to that in order to see God do all that he wants to do through me, I need to release that back to God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just as your own like act of, hey, I'm laying this before God, I just want to invite you to raise a hand this morning. God sees what's going on inside of your heart. He knows what that thing is. Maybe you even just want to verbalize in this moment, God, would you help me to forgive this person? Would you help me to love this person? This person that's been driving me nuts in our love of God, would you increase in me a depth of love for that individual? God, we just pray for your Holy Spirit to be so present and active in our church. Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is here and with us this morning. And we thank you for this invitation to be unified, God, that it's actually a beacon of hope and light to the world around us. That, that, that your church would be so remarkably different than the world that we see around us. God, I pray that today you would unify us. That you would allow us to submit back to you the things that we're holding on to as a church. God, that you would increase in our church a level of humility. God, that you would increase in our church a level of gentleness. God, that you would increase in our church patience. God, that we would bear with one another. That we would make every effort, God. And not out of just white-knuckling it or our own power or our own strength, but out of submission to your Holy Spirit as you work in and through us today, Jesus. We love you, God, and we worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to close with one more prayer. So with every head bowed and every eye closed. We want to do this at all of our services. Today we talked a lot about what the church looks like in unity together. But I want to give an opportunity for anybody that hasn't made a decision to follow Jesus, to recognize, like, man, God loves me so much, and this desire to love one another comes out of an overflow of the love that God has for you. That's you in this place this morning. You're saying, I want to make a decision to follow Jesus today, to be a disciple of God. I want to be this day to be a turning point in my life, to be obedient to the person of Jesus, to follow after him, to accept the free gift of life and salvation this morning. If that's you, I just want to invite you to raise your hand as an outward expression to say, God, I'm receiving what you have for me today. I want to invite you into my life. Thank you. God, I pray for those that are making that decision today to follow after you, God, to be submitted to you, to become a disciple of you today. Lord, I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that you would bring people around them, God, that would walk alongside them in this life and in this journey. Pray that you would lift their head, God, and that you'd resource them for this next step in their relationship with you. We love you and we thank you and ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.